PM in tech online, JBA here, and welcome to bonus episode eight of diversity and mentorship in technology, where we continue the conversation about diversity, mentorship, careers, business in technology with our guest, Andy. Each bonus episode is tied to a show episode. So don't forget to check that out first if you haven't already done so. Now, one more time, let's reintroduce Andy and dive into a deeper discussion about entrepreneurship and traveling the world. So Andy, welcome back. Hey, happy to be back. So I know in, during the uh, intro, I mean, we were talking about uh, you know things like uh, acting and growing up, and I know you went to my alma mater, uh, UConn. And so I think one of the things that we kind of talked about having new experiences, and you mentioned the improv. Could you kind of give our listeners a little bit more about what you were doing there? Um, what I did in theater? Uh, correct. And how it kind of helped during, you know, uh, uh, everyone should take an acting class, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, Friday, I had to do an impromptu pitch. The audience shouted out three words and I had to come up with a company on the spot. And, uh, and they gave me like house and amazing. And one other word, and I, I came up with amazing B and B and I, you know, used all the buzzwords like AI and blah, blah, blah. But, um, and people were really blown away. Uh, but the reason why they said they were blown away is because I was so confident and that the, even though they knew that I was just making it up, that my body language was was very confident. I was moving around the room, making lots of eye contact, making people laugh. And I learned that from theater. I just, you know, I was a very shy kid and um, I would have never overcome that shyness had I not gotten involved with theater and, um, you know, written my own play and like acted it on stage. Yeah, I definitely find that theater, people ask me, you know, as, as DMIT may not know, my background is in entertainment uh, and finance, but in entertainment, you know, I was uh, doing a lot of performing and writing. And I think writing specifically helps you to communicate and explore the communication. It really helps if you're going into business, because in business, the number one thing you have to do is communicate, whether it's with clients or vendors, or in Andy's case, an impromptu session, it just helps you to become, I think, a better communicator overall. One of the yeah. Things that, yeah. One of the things I want to kind of go into is about the mid-sized company you worked for. I think you said you started your first startup when one of the venture capitalists said it was going to fail. What was that like? I mean, in terms of venture capitalists, in terms of trying to get money for a, a startup, and maybe sometimes you shouldn't, maybe you should self-fund your own startup. What's that, what's that experience like for you? Um, yeah, I, I, I like to be fair. I mean, this, this VC was very right. Okay. Um, if I had raised money, I would have ended up losing a lot of people money. Um, but I just wanted to try it. So I think it's good that I tried. Um, but what was the most upsetting? It wasn't upsetting when the VC said, I think it's going to, you know, you're going to take need a lot of money to educate people on how this works. And this product is very difficult for the average consumer to understand. Um, that I really appreciated. Um, it was when I would send decks off to other VCs and angel investors and they would just not even respond. And to me, that was like, wow, like, what, you know, don't even, please don't even tell me you're going to read my deck. <laughs> so when I became into a position where people started asking me for employment or asking me for favors, um, I learned the importance of saying no, but why? 
I think it's devastating when you essentially just ghost people who are on the job hunt or who are looking for a partner. I think it's important that you give, always give constructive uh, feedback. Absolutely. And even if it's just a response, you know, not interested or something, something to that effect. Ghosting, I find, is definitely a trait that, you know, just takes a few seconds to respond. And sometimes people get a lot of emails, you don't have to respond to everyone, but you know, if somebody's really reaching out once, twice, three times, you know, just a kind note uh, or, you know, short response would, would be best, at least knowing that the end is, uh, that you got the email. <laughs> so they're not, they're not sending it constantly uh, more and more. I definitely agree with that sentiment. One of the things I yeah, said... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to cap that up with, especially if someone's already been through a process with you, like if someone has actually pitched you or interviewed with you, I think you, you know, they deserve on a human level, they just deserve a response. Absolutely. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Auditioning for a Chinese Shark Tank-like show I saw uh, in... You auditioned for that and you did get in. You sit on a wild card. What was that like? Yeah. Dark Tank, um, if anyone doesn't know, DMIT, I did an event with Damon John in 2012 uh, at Alley NYC um, uh, called How to Get Funding from a Shark. So obviously the, the, the Chinese Shark Tank version would be interesting. Can you tell our listeners about that? So the show is called The Next Unicorn. Um, they designed it to be like Shark Tank. Um, so auditioning for it. Um, so one of the judges in the show, uh, was an early investor in PayPal and he was also the founder of the co-working space I was working at in Australia at the time. And, uh, so that's why the show came to Sydney and auditioned there. And so they were at my co-working space. So I just on a lark decided to audition and um, and at that time, I was running a startup called LoveGet, which I had designed some algorithms to help people have better conversations for dating purposes. And I was very early. I didn't even have... I didn't have an MVP. I was still trying to figure out how I was going to make money, who my customer was. But I was honest about my story and just said that I was so dogged about running my own company because everything that happened with my brother. And um, so I didn't hear anything back after the initial audition. <laughs> so, um, and, um, and then like, I think it was like the day after Christmas, uh, uh, Peter Davison, the, the early investor in PayPal that I mentioned, uh, messaged me on Facebook cause we were Facebook friends. And he was like, well, I asked everyone who they, who they thought was most memorable. And they all, they, all of them said you. So he said, we think you're honestly like on your, your business itself isn't strong enough to compete on the show. So you should come in with realistic expectations about how you'll do in the show, but we'd like to have you regardless. And they're like, and he was like, Oh, by the way, yeah. He was like, by the way, filming begins January 3rd. And so at this point I was in New Zealand cause my visa had just run out in Australia. So I started, I moved to New Zealand and um, so I just moved into my new apartment. I hadn't even unpacked. And I went to the embassy to get my visa just for 30 days for, I checked the tourist visa for 30 days to film the show. And, uh, when I got my visa back, it was for 10 years. It was valid for 10 oh, years. Wow. So I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I said, I think it's a sign for my brother. I think my brother wants me to move to China. So wow. I just put everything back in my backpack and I gave my roommates an extra two weeks of rent. And I said, I think I'm just going to go to China and I'll come back. Those are not easy to and, get out here. 
you know, it was it was odd. I I I think it was lucky. Those those visas had just come into existence. I mm. think like that year. Um, and I, I have no idea why they gave it to me. Maybe it was like their Christmas gift to me. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so yeah, so I moved and what a shock. I mean, I logically, I rationally knew I didn't speak or read Mandarin, but when you go from being, uh, you know, college educated person who kinds of, I kind of think of myself as a little bit of an intellectual. And then I went to an environment where I couldn't read. You know, it took me three trips of going to the grocery store to buy laundry detergent because I didn't know if I was looking at like what you know, if it was dish soap or what. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, like Google doesn't work over there unless you connect your ah, VPN. And, right. Yeah. Right. And most VPNs right. are blocked because the government doesn't want you to use a VPN to connect to anything outside of the Chinese network. So yes. um right. Yeah. So everything you, I mean, totally, totally handicapped. I mean, like I, I had to have someone help me do everything. I eventually, my, my roommate, um, studied Mandarin. He was American and he studied Mandarin and I hired him. I paid him $15 an hour to just go outside with me. And so I just took him like basically everywhere I needed to go. Like if I had to go grocery shopping or like negotiate some kind of deal or something like that, I just paid him to go with me. Um, And so eventually, I mean, it it all became very expensive to stay in China. Um, You know, when you, when you have to have somebody help you with like very, very basic things and the show aired and about a million people um, saw it. And uh, one person went to my website. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So at this point, um, I mean, I was just, you know, definitely feeling like a loser. And, um, but I didn't really have any time to feel sorry for myself because I was totally out of money. Um, I was bootstrapping and I had put $50,000 um, into this and I didn't even have money to leave China. So um, it was very scary. So I ended up taking a gig uh, teaching English just because I had to. And I realized when I was teaching English that I could pivot the algorithms for LoveGet and I could pivot it into um, SalesGet and it would be something people would be willing to actually pay money for. Yeah. So yeah, I know SalesGet, in terms of being a um, a good pivot, what is that? Because I know the the automatic bots and if I can kind of shift the conversation into... Um, algorithms and, and bots and, you know, tons of categories, drones, bots, AI, but could you give us a little more about sales get and kind of how that works from a, um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Chat, chat bot type. Yeah. I'll work. Yeah. It's okay. So there's two sides to it really. Um, it's an ed tech thing, but it's also marketplace basically. Um, so the chatbot for uh, English speakers, you can go in and talk to the chatbot and practice conversational sales. And in real time, the chatbot uh, will give you feedback like um, basically what I've done technically or what I'm working on technically is putting communication science and, and sales tactics um, in, on top of the natural language processing. So, um, so there's the layer of the bot understanding the actual words that are coming out of your mouth, right? 
And then there's a layer of the bot being able to say, ah, you are talking too much in this conversation. Mm. Or, oh, this person, this person just did a topic drop, meaning they, they suggested a new topic and you should pick it up. You should say something that's a related topic. Um, or, um, and, and just keeping a running tab of the rapport in the conversation. And then when the rapport is really high, suggesting that maybe this is a potential sales point or a closing moment. Interesting. I mean, this, this um, application seems like it has a lot of potential for, uh, I say, corporations or, or companies that are trying to train, I think, of Salesforce, right? Trying to train their Salesforce. Is that, is that something that could be used to facilitate that? Or do you have some other purposes? Yeah, there's definitely that component, right? Um, what I really want to get targeted for is just somebody who is starting out running a business to help them learn how to sell, especially engineers who are in the startup land and they have absolutely no sales background whatsoever. And women coming into running their own business as well, because on the other side of the marketplace, uh, those people who are practicing their conversational sales, they can sell their practice sessions for people who are wanting to learn business English. Mm. So in China, there's a few really popular business models. Um, there's this one business where they took Quora, like a Quora model, and they said, instead of just Quora being totally free, it's not called Quora. I'm just, but that's what it is. It's just a copy of Quora and they called it something different. Got it. And instead of just all being free, the most popular answers, people would pay like a few pennies to see the answer. And so I said, ah, um, what I would like to do is Chinese users can listen to the English speakers practice their conversational sales because then they'll learn business English. And so that's when I had the English learning side of the platform available. So that's really exciting. And so that's why I'm down here in Santiago, Chile, because there's obviously a global aspect to sales get because almost everywhere where they don't want to speak English, there is big demand to learn how to speak English well, right? And improve your accent. Um, Yes. Uh, I was going to get into that topic actually a little bit. Obviously, every maybe day or every other day, I get calls from recruiters or people and I, and I <laughs> say, do they, it doesn't sound like they know too much about me, but if you can improve your English and improve the way you communicate, which is, you know, to our conversation about acting and, and, and kind of developing that skill of sales set, if the communication is there, I think the, uh, the ability to have real life scenarios and then counter that, it makes, it makes complete sense. So that sounds like an amazing, amazing uh, um, algorithm and an amazing feature, an amazing um, a company. And I think it definitely, definitely can do well, especially on the global scale, like you said, with all these different languages. And, uh, you know, I speak Spanish as well. And I remember in college, I was learning Japanese and I'm actually starting to pick that back up. But yeah, it's definitely something as you have uh, multilingual or polygots as they call them, I think it's definitely important. Yeah, it's so important to, to understand that you don't need to learn more words. It's that you learn need to learn how to use those words better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the words that you have better, in, indeed. Um, just two more things I want to kind of go over. Back to your, your company, Single Serving Tech. How does that process work for an uh, employer or someone who's trying to hire remote tech people. And it's, it's difficult because I've been 
hiring developers who work with me, you know, a lot are better than me and some are different skill sets. But over the last, I'd say, seven, eight years, a remote workforce has been uh, something I've hired for. But what's that like? How do you make it easier using singleservingtech.com, you know, where other people may have gone to uh, Upwork or trying to find those freelancers? How does it work? Yeah. So right now we're growing in a very sustainable fashion. Um, initially, when I started out, I was like every other platform and I was like, oh, you'll come on and you'll see the portfolio of a developer and then you'll just hire the developer. Right. Um, and I, it was I, I couldn't find a way to like control the quality. Um, so what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to put together a team, right? Um, because a lot of companies out there don't know they need a data scientist. They don't really know they need a network engineer. Um, and so they're not going to go and hire specifically for that person. So I basically just put together a team of a data scientist, a developer, um, uh, like a, like a designer slash illustrator and a network engineer, um, and I just do a set price for the type of technical project that, um, somebody is looking for. And I don't, um, I don't reveal the gender of <laughs> the gender or the military status of the individual on the team. Um, I just, I just offer the team, um, and I find, I mean, that's basically how I've kind of forced diversity uh, and, and balance into my company. And I tell everyone that they sh every business owner should be concerned about diversity because if you are not, you are getting an inferior service, an inferior Absolutely. product. Okay. Absolutely. But it's really difficult to get people to then go to your website and then click on exactly 50% of female applicants or whatever it is, however many clicks on veterans we would like to see. Um, so that's what I do is I just create a balanced team and I sell the whole team. Mm, interesting. So team, yeah, that, that's, that's really interesting because on the recruiting side and I've worked with hundreds of recruiters over the course of my um, you know, short career where the, they're trying to place candidates individually and they may not have an indication based upon the, the employer's uh, brief of the entire team. And one of the things I talk about in some of my speeches and classes and uh, just going in, in terms of comfortability in the room, I uh, um, you talk about being able to understand the full team and, and diversity of the full team. It's not just uh, a candidate or one of the classes I, I teach is uh, you know, diversity is not a quota. So it's not just a one single person isolated. <laughs> it's it's a group. It's a group. You know, does the, te does yeah. the team speak more than one language? Is it, you know is there a cultural relevance there? Uh, so yeah, it's it definitely that's a very good point of selling the actual team is something I haven't, I haven't heard of before. So I think DMIT, you definitely want to check out singleservingtech.com. And if you're looking to build an application, uh, it's your team. You know, two coders who are dynamically, uh, have nothing in common, may not work as well as a cohesive team that, you know, we yeah. together before or, or whatnot. So I definitely recommend, that's that's amazing. That's an amazing uh, thing that you're Some, doing. Yeah, somebody asked me last year, how do I go about hiring our first female coder? And I said, you don't, you have to hire two. Yeah. Um, so you never, because if you hire just one, she'll end up isolated and targeted most likely. Indeed. Uh, so I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really important to, um, yeah, 
just look at things from a team perspective. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> awesome. What last question I want to ask you is, is what would you give someone who's graduating or just in college now, uh, or even in high school that are, it's considering coding, but you know, when I grew up, I remember it wasn't a, and it's changed now, of course, but a career where if I didn't have anyone in my family doing it, I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't know the resources are obviously available on Google, but how do I, how do I know it's possibly right for me if I don't, you know, I don't see anybody, you know, I see the Zuckerbergs. I see, I don't see anybody like me, female running, you know, a, a massive startup or something to that effect. Yeah. How, do I, how do I know? Yeah. How do I get in there? Oh yeah. First of all, I totally empathize with the lack of role models. I mean, I was, I met my very first role model and the founder of uh, Zipcar, Robin. She, um, I, I just heard that she was a woman and this was back in like 2008. And I was just so excited to hear about a woman leading a tech company. So first of all, we're out there. The women leaders are out there. We're just harder to find. And the second thing is, um, it doesn't matter if you've got an example to work from because eventually you're going to have to be your own kind of leader. So it, it is, it would be easier certainly to have more examples to work from, but in the long run, you will end up better for it. If you skip copying someone and you go straight to developing who you are. So how do you know if being a coder is right for you? You like coding. That's it. That's the only question. It's there's nothing um, external about it. Udemy.com. I really like um, their site. They've got a lot of really great courses and there's a lot of sales. You can get great deals. Um, and then I also like Coursera. Mm-hmm. And there's so much great online, the MOOCs um, from MIT. And uh, there's so much online education now that it's like, you really don't need to feel restrained by what your parents did or what your high school guidance counselor suggested for you. Absolutely. And like I said, finding your own path and then becoming comfortable with what you like to do, not just coding, but in general, will help you identify, I think, better what your career goals are, what your personal goals want to what you want to do for yourself personally. So that's, that's really great advice. Awesome, Andy. I want to thank cool. you again for coming on the show and, and being part of our experience here. And you definitely dropped some great value to our listeners and, you know, we'll, we'll chat soon uh, and we'll uh, keep in touch. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jeremy.